Glad you're here this morning. We're taking a break from our study in Luke. We're going to be in Matthew again this week. I'd encourage you to go ahead and open a Bible so that you can follow along. I'm going to give you two passages. The first one is Matthew 22, uh, verses 36 through 40. We studied that last week. We're going to kind of start there again this week. Uh, that's 828 in the Bibles, in the pews in front of you. If you do not have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We would encourage you to take it. Uh, we believe fully that the Word of God is the Word that works. And so if you'll read it, believe it, it will really it, it will change your life. Uh, the second passage, Matthew 28, verses 16 through uh, 20, are, is where we're going to end up at. But if you'll just put your thumb there for now, or just your finger, just mark it some way so that you can get there easily. Uh, it's page 835 in those Bibles that are in the chairs uh, for just be ready to go there when we get there. So last week, as I mentioned, we took a break from our study in Luke to, to reorient, kind of refocus our perspective or our, our life as a church back on that purpose for which uh, Christ has assembled us. And we categorize that in two ways. We use two words to categorize that, worship and mission. Worship, the devoting of our words. And in fact, as, as we studied last week, as we'll see again this week, it's not just the devoting of words and deeds, but it's the, the life, devoting our life, our mind, our heart, our soul, devoting our entire being so that our words and our deeds are given in praise and honor to God as most glorious above all others. That is worship. And that is the, the, the highest call of his church. That's the highest expectation, the highest priority God has in this world for all people is to worship him. It's the very reason we were created, or at least in part, it's the very reason we were created. The other category, category is mission, the going and proclaiming of the gospel, going and preaching, going and telling, going and telling and exemplifying uh, the gospel so that others can see God's glory and join with us in declaring it. That is the idea uh, that, that, of what mission is. The mission that, that is worship then multiplies worship. And this is a very, second, uh, a very close second calling on God's people. The mission won't exist forever because as soon as Christ, come back, Christ comes back, the mission of proclaiming the gospel ends because... Faith will be sight, will be with him forever. There won't be a need for going and proclaiming in the sense that we do it today. But uh, we will gather and worship uh, regularly. We will, we will go and worship regularly. Worship will continue. To summarize it, though, as a church, we say it like this. We exist because of the gospel to worship and lead others to worship Jesus, to worship God. We worship in life, in, in all of our being and doing. We call each other to this life of worship that leads others to live out their worship, right? So that God is glorified and so that people can see his glory among God's people. These two great purposes of the church are intrinsically woven together. They're, they are at this point in redemptive history almost inseparable. True worship gives way to mission, and mission increases true worship. That's just the, that's the way it functions. That's the way it fluctuates. We've seen this in our study. It's all over the, the scriptures, and, and we even saw it last week as we began our study of the greatest commandments. It is focused mostly on worship. We focus most intently on worship, on glorifying God, on loving God preeminently. But even as we read those verses, I, was, I showed you that without any real work or really any hard, deep exposition, you can see in these commandments 
the framework of worship and mission. And we're going to be back there for, for the purpose of continuity. We're going to be back there again today. So I've said a lot, and we're just going to need, we just need to get to the scripture because you heard me do announcements earlier. And so if I, if I continue to rattle on, you'll, well, you'll hear me doing announcements again. It'll be bad. So here we are, Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. And it says this. It says, uh, teacher, which are, are, let me just, for the sake of context, I'm going to be, begin reading verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said, this is Jesus' answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Every part of you, with every ounce of your being, love the Lord your God. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. Now, for the sake of review, for the just drawing us all into the same place, and just to remind you, central to the command to love God first is the call to worship God most, to worship him above all others. There is really not a distinction. We could just as easily place the word worship in this verse and not change the meaning, not change Jesus's purpose in it. The idea is, is that we love him preeminently. And we move to that in this way. So, so Jesus isn't just calling us to love God like we would love in popular culture, not just to feel good about him, not just to have good emotions to him, is he? He's calling us to a preeminent, to a singular devotion to him, to a, to a love that preeminently or, or, or places him preeminently in our lives. He takes the first seat. He is the main purpose. He is the very reason we do and the very reason we be. Right? I mean, that's the idea what Jesus is calling us to. And, and so it's easy to move and see that this isn't just a love, that it's a motive. It's not just a love that we say with words. This is a call to devote ourselves to him completely, which is worship. I mean, in the fullest sense of the word of what worship is, this is worship. To devote ourselves so fully to, to, to God, to devote ourselves so fully to Christ. That he is the first. That all decisions are made with him in mind. That all actions are made with him in mind. All motive and all purpose for which we live is, 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 has him in mind. This devoting of our entire self so that our words and our deeds are expressed in praise and honor of God and his glory. This is what Christ is calling us to. And so we broke it out this way. We love God first. Or we worship him most. It's just as easy to say. Because he alone is gloriously worthy. He really is worthy of this. He's the only one worthy of this. Any other thing, any other person at some point will fail or fall short of this. But he is gloriously worthy. We, we worship him. We worship him. We love him first. Because of who he is. We love God first, or, or again, we worship him most. Because he so graciously loved us first. Now this isn't just like a, well, he did it, so I'll do it kind of thing. This is not a, a, a he did it, so I'm going to follow the command, and I'm going to bear up my strength within, inside of me, and I'm going to make myself love him. It's not a, it's not a should do or a, let's follow a law to this. This is a cause and effect kind of relationship. We have this love to return to him. 
We have this love to love him preeminently and primarily because he loved us first. We couldn't do it apart from it. Had he not loved us in the sending of his son, if he had not loved us in the speaking of truth and the giving of grace, we we couldn't love him. But because he has, we love him because of what he's done. We are able to love him. We can love him because he loved us first. We love him first. We worship him most because apart from his love, we can do no other good. Loving him first is the greatest commandment. And so the reality is, is if you don't start with loving him first, it doesn't matter how hard you, hard, how hard you try in everything else. If there is some God or some object of love that takes his place, then it is sin. I'm not saying that to be crass or hard about it. I'm just saying that that's the reality, that this commandment is the, <clears throat> is the foundation, it's the thread that runs through every other commandment. You can be the best of people to other people, but if you have no love for God, and he is not primary in your life, then at some point your good deeds will fail them. They will leave them wanting. But when we love God first, we can actually begin to do the good that God has commanded us to do. When we strive to love God first, when we commit ourselves to honoring and adoring him, we can't help but begin to do good to other people. Because the fruit that that bears in our life is the fruit that other people get to enjoy as they know us and live in relationship to us. Like an apple tree was not meant to, an apple tree doesn't eat its own fruit, right? As the the tree of life is taking root in your heart, as the love of God is taking root in you, it bears fruit that's not ever been intended for your good. But to feed others, to be a blessing to others. When we love him first, when we strive to worship him most, we can begin to do the good that we know we have been called to do. And when we love God first, we wor- or, or, or as I've been saying, we worship him most, when, when we, we do this because in love, we are reconciled to the joy, peace, and hope of knowing him. Yes, worshiping him, loving him, it it bears glory, it bears honor, it bears praise, it, it demonstrates adoration for the one who deserves it. It glorifies God when we turn and, and give him all that he deserves. It brings great glory to him. But in that, he's not just selfishly desiring it. He longs for, for, for glory from his people because he knows it's for our best interest. He commands us to worship him because we were created to worship him. He commands us to love him because we were commanded to love him. And until this is taken root in our heart and life, we will always be seeking joy and happiness in things that fail us. It's like using a, a light bulb for a hammer. It doesn't work. You were created for a purpose. To love him. So let's use light bulbs for what light bulbs are meant to use, be used for. Connected to the power 
that, that, that bears light in their life. That, that in it we find our best good. We don't call this to, to call each other to this, not because we have some law to follow, not because it, it makes for big ministries, but because we desire so much good for each other. We long for God to be glorified in your life, in each other's lives, because in His glory we find our greatest good. That's why we do this. Now, that's really just a summary of last week's sermon. And you're like, oh, man, well, we've, we've got a ways to go, don't we? Yes, we do. See, Jesus didn't stop at the greatest command, did he? I mean, we, we just read it. He, didn't, he didn't, didn't say, well, here's the greatest command. Here it is. And walk away. He, he actually gave him kind of a bonus. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And I think he does this because the love of God or worshiping God primarily with, with purpose and uh, uh, preeminence, I, I think is always going to give way to a missional expression that concerns itself for others. So, so when, you, when, when this love of God is at work in you, let me say it like this. So, so the, the love of God is at work in you. It is, it is moving your affections, moving your desires, moving your, 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 your devotion. It's drawing you more and more fully to him. It will always find its working horizontally. As it, as it builds and develops and strengthens this vertical relationship between God and his people, it will always, always, always result in a horizontal effort for the good of others. I think the Apostle John in his first letter kind of draws this out and gives us a clear illustration of it. Let me read to you 1 John three sixteen through 18. The verses will be on the screen. Don't turn there. Just You can follow along. Uh, on the screen, it says this, by this we know love. By this we know love. This, this is the way that we know love. That he laid down his life for us. That's Jesus laying down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So here he says, he, look at it, he says, you know love because he came and gave it to you. He laid his life down for you. And as a result, what happens? We ought to love our brothers. But if anyone, here's the question, and you listen to this question, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? See, the, the, the thought, the, the point he's about to build out and make is that, that the truth is, if you have experienced God's love, if you have received his love and it has done its work in your life, that it has drawn your affections, your devotion, your desire for praise and honor toward God, if it has made you a worshiper of God, but yet you don't love people, then there's something still off. In fact, you can't say you have the vertical relationship with God if it's not expressed in the horizontal. So coming to church, let's just use this as an example. Coming to church and sitting in the pew or in our case, in the chair every Sunday. But yet, your life never bears fruit for the good of other people. The challenge is, are you really loving God? Is God's love alive in you? Little children, he says, let us not love in word or talk, but indeed in truth. The idea is not... That we don't speak words of love. It's just that it doesn't stop at words of love. 
and moves to action. Loving God first, being loved by God first, that then motivates love towards God, will always express itself in love for others. But not just words. It'll be expressed in deeds. This is the worship and mission that God has called his people to. This is the worship and mission that this church seeks to call followers of Christ to and call people from the world into. This is the worship and mission that God has intrinsically woven together through the scriptures so that everywhere we turn in the scripture, we see this expression happening over and over and other, over. We worship God that gives way to loving others. Now, before we move on from this text, before we move on from here, I want you to see an, another issue. As I've been talking about what Christ has called us to with God, loving God with all heart, mind, soul, and by, heart, soul, and mind. As I have talked about that, I've equated that with worship. I don't think, and I, I think it's wrong, I think it's right to do that, but I think it's wrong if we then turn around and say, well, if we're loving God, that means we're worshiping God. Well, if that means when we're called to love people, that means we should worship people. I don't think that that's a fair analysis. I think even as Jesus talks about it, he talks about it in two ways, right? He talks about loving God with our whole being and loving others as, our, as ourselves. There's a, there's a distinction there. We love God with our, a singular kind of devotion. But that's not what he calls us to in the love of others. Well, what does a love for others look like? Well, if the verses from 1 John are still behind me, I think we don't have to look any further than that passage. By this we know love. Now, in one sense, that says we know love because he came and did this for us. But in another sense, we identify love because of what he came and did for us. We can almost build out a definition. We can gain understanding you see, when Christ said that he loved us, his love is active. It's not just him saying, I love you. You know, the, those words, until there's something behind them, they're, they're really empty. They don't have real meaning if they're not connected to action. His love was active. He gave up, or, or, or it, it talks about in Philippians chapter 2, that he emptied himself, that he took on the, 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 the identity of a man, that he took on manhood, that he took on a, a new nature. He humbled himself to be a servant. He, he gave himself over to death. He's acting in this. He's, he's not just saying, I love you. He's showing he loves you. It's sacrificial. His love cost him. He wasn't just giving out of excess. It's not like he had a few dollars left in his glove box. And he's like, oh, I, didn't, I hadn't really forgotten I had that. But I'll make sure I give it to this guy. He sacrificed of himself. See, we, we question sometimes, does God love me? Yes, he loves you. He didn't just say it. He showed it. He came and acted it out. But in that action, it cost him. If you ever question the love of Christ, if you ever question the love of God, simply look at the cross. He entered into suffering for your sake. That's love. 
He has loved you so much. And his love for us is beneficial. He's not doing it simply to harm us or hurt us. He's not doing it to show us how good he is. He's doing it as a blessing unto us. He longs for your good. If we just believe in him, what do we have? Eternal life. We live forever. When does that begin? The moment we believe. It comes into fruition. Yes, it's going to be consummated in a day when we step into his presence, never to, be, never to be distant from him again, never to be separated by a dark glass again. We will be with him forever, but that eternal life starts now. He actively worked in sacrifice for your good. That's love. You know, if we're going to say then that we love someone in these terms, if we're going to love someone the way we love ourselves, well, I guess we just have to ask ourselves, is it moving us? Is it like pushing us, motivating us, finding itself actively working? Is it sacrificial in any way? Is it, is it costing you anything? Do you feel yourself dying to yourself a bit? And are you doing it simply to show yourself as better? To present yourself as one who has earned his place? Or are you truly seeking the good of others? See, religious people, religious people, they'll act some things out and and they'll sacrifice of themselves, but it's always for themselves. But God has said, no, 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 no. This isn't about you anymore. Love others as you love yourself. Love others in the same way you long to be loved. Well, won't I miss out? Won't I lose out? What are you going to lose out on? God has already loved you first. He has satisfied souls with his great and active and sacrificial and beneficial love. As that love takes root in us, it will always move us to give it away, to love others, to love God or worship God. That's the highest priority. That's the that's the thing, loving others a very close second. We see this framework of worship and mission all over this passage. Let me draw one final conclusion for, from it. Because worshiping God in because worshiping God is his highest priority. It's not one I made up. I didn't come up with this. This is God's priority. Because worshiping God is his highest priority. The highest act of love for another is to help them see he is worthy to be. Worshipped. If being connected to the love of God is the best th thing for us and we recognize the value of that, how can we say we love anyone if we never say anything to them about his love? Let me just draw from that. I didn't, I didn't know we were going to take a prayer time and, and focus on what's going on in Charlottesville. I'm, I'm grateful we did. We should. It's horrendous. 
Man, our world is so filled with sin and hate. Just think about what's going on. Simply because someone looks different. They have a different hue to their skin. Because their ethnicity is different. Because, because in some way they, they, they perceive and, and have experienced different things. And they appreciate and look at things differently. Just because of that. People ridicule and hate and oppress. Is that what God has called his people to? No. Absolutely not. It's antithetical. It's, it's antithetical to the gospel. It's antithetical to the commands of our God. It, it, it's a demonstration of the sin and sickness that rules in this world. Absolutely no. These people are without love. They are void of God's love. And should we speak out against these things? Yes, absolutely, we should speak out against these things. Go out on your Facebook feed and let people know that it is sin. Talk to your friends and your neighbors about it being sin. Call it what it is. But should we stop at speaking about it and calling it what it is? No. No, that, 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 that may mean that you get a picket and you go and stand in a picket line and, and, and demonstrate and protest against this kind of sin. It, it may mean that, but it shouldn't stop there because here's the thing. Here's, here's the issue at hand is if we come to them and we give them these commands, oh, you don't love God, so you're a sinner and you're going to die, but you're supposed to love God, so love God first and that'll make everything better. Well, all we've done for them is give them a law that they are going to fail living up to over and over and over again. What should we do then? Post it on our Facebook. Go pick it in, in lines to protest against it. Yes. But don't stop there. Don't stop there. You see, the reality is this, is that, that looking at these people who would be so hate-filled, so hateful, it's easy to see that the love of God is not at work in them. But that's not always the way the lack of love of God demonstrates itself. It's not always so stark. Sometimes it's very deceptive. Like turning a blind eye to the need that's all around us. And even though we have the gospel resource that will satisfy these souls, the souls who are oppressed and marginalized and demeaned because of the color of their skin and satisfy the souls of these hate-filled bigots. They would turn their eyes towards Christ and peace would be made. We have this gospel resource and we know that it'll change things. We know that it will build fruit out, that it will be good for each other, and yet we never say a word. How? Can the love of God be at work in us if we have the gospel that bears the fruit of eternal life and yet we watch the world around us sink into the depths of the sewage of hate and sin? 
That is not God's love. That is not what he's called us to in loving him, coming and sitting in a room and and acting for an hour and a half like he's our primary person. He's called us to love him with our whole being so that it gives itself out in loving others in the same way we so long to be loved by him. That's the call. That's the expectation. And so if you're missing a love for others, go back and ask yourself, do I have love from God? And if you don't hear these words, hear these words. God has loved you actively, sacrificially, and beneficially in the cross of Jesus Christ. And he says it is yours if you will just believe. And then watch what happens as your life changes and you can't help but love others the way you have been loved. Because worshiping God is his highest priority. The highest act of love for another is to help them see he alone is worthy to be worshipped. What then does this look like? How do we practice it? Let's jump over to that last passage Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Jesus has died and he has risen. He has appeared to many people along the the way. He's shown himself to to people already. This is not his first, nor nor, nor is it his last uh, uh, appearance in his risen form to people. But it's an important one. The 11 disciples, that's the 11 that were left over. Judas is no longer with them, right? The 11 disciples went to Galilee. So so they're in Jerusalem when Jesus is killed. Now they travel back to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, now just to give you a picture of this, this is not the 11 doubting. Like the 11 already know this is Jesus, right? I think, and this is just an opinion, we can debate it later if you want to. I think that this is that moment where 500 people are witnessing Christ as the risen Lord. I think, and Paul talks about it in Corinthians. I think that this is that time when 500 people are coming to this, they're, they're, they're around this mountain, they see Christ. We know the 11 are there. I don't think they're the only ones there. Some of them doubted and some of them worshipped. I love this because it depicts this picture of these people who already have great love, great adoration, great devotion to Jesus Christ. What he's about to say to them is not given to the masses. It's given to those who are already worshipping him. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We move from our great commandments to this great commission, to this commissioning of his people, those people who would gather and worship, to those people who honored and adored him and loved him so much that when he said, go to Galilee, go to this mountain, they didn't stay in Jerusalem, they went to Galilee, they went to find him again, they went to be with him, and when they see him, they fall on their face and worship, but he says, no, 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 no. He didn't say no out loud, or at least we don't hear it. He just, he's just about to give them a different instruction. Your life is not meant as my worshiper, to be one flat on your face in front of me. Your life as a worshiper, as one who worships me, your life is to be this. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe 
all that I have commanded you. Listen, summarize it like this. We'll hit these points quickly. We express our worship of God, of Jesus, and love for others. We express this worship and love by making, maturing, and mobilizing disciples so that true worship is multiplied. Jesus, he longs for the worship of those who are there, but he desires that others would be able to come and worship him. He desires that the doubts and the questions and the lack of knowledge, the lack of understanding would, would be brought out, it would go out from him so that others could worship him. This is what he's calling us to. Making disciples turn people from their self-love to worship God and love others. Making disciples turns people from their self-love to worship God and love others. I brought up the stuff going on in Charlottesville. Like We bring them a law. We bring them a bunch of rules to follow. Quit being racist. Man, you should say that. It's, it, okay, say it. Be, it's, I got no problem with that. But that does not address the heart of the issue. Racism is a symptom of a deeper self-love problem, a lack of love of God and a love for self. Jesus is the only way we're going to address the heart issues. We see that happen. He says, make disciples, baptizing them. The idea here is that we're going out and we're teaching these things and we're calling them to this stuff and bring, bringing information and truth about the things of Christ, the cross of Christ, and the fact that faith and repentance gives us eternal life. And, 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 and as we come to life, he comes and lives in us. We bring that truth. We bring it out of the church. We, we send it outside the doors so that people's lives are changed. He commands baptism. It is an act of obedience that we baptize people. Many of you saw us do that. But that baptism is indicative. It's a symbol of the transformation that has already taken root in the life of a person. They're baptizing themselves because they're dead to sin and made alive in Christ. They're buried with him in death and raised to walk in life. That's the idea of baptism. That's the whole purpose of it. It's an indication of the transformation that the gospel truth and love of God has worked out in a person. He's saying, go and do everything you can to bring this about. Make disciples so that they'll turn from their love of self and that they'll begin to worship God, to love him first, so that they can love others. So that they can be actively, sacrificially, and beneficially moving for other people. It's the idea. Yeah, get up and go and say these things. Speak the truth. Call people on their sin, but offer them the chance for forgiveness and life. When we deal with the heart, we deal with the issue that will bring peace. We make, we mature disciples. We make disciples, we mature disciples. This, this maturing disciples it equips and empowers disciples to grow in worship of God and love for others. Jesus says, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And his very next thing, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Or to observe in the ESV, teaching them to observe, teaching them to obey. The idea here is this, is that now that a person has life, right, you make a disciple and then you call them to obedience. The church is so guilty of this, going out into the world and demanding that they obey. That's not what he said to do. 
Make disciples, see them converted, see their lives changed, and then teach them to observe. You have done no one any real good if you just got them to follow your rules. Well, I don't like cussing, so you got to quit cussing. And as soon as you quit cussing, well, you'll still be a sinner. (laughs) Sorry, but it makes me feel good. Right? That's not what he said. Make disciples, then mature disciples, to see them grow up in it. See, we, we don't give people a law to follow that makes him worthy of his love. But on the other hand, we don't say, oh, just go live however you want to. If you're a follower of Christ, ah, it doesn't matter if you live in open, unrepentant sin. Who cares? Jesus loves you. You go live your sinful life and it, it won't matter. We, we don't do that either. We call people to obedience. To do what Jesus says, not because they want to earn his love. We call people to obedience because they want to honor his love. It it honors him when we love him, and because we love him, we decide we're going to do what he says. Man, what a beautiful way we can worship him. In fact, I would just say the clearest mark of spiritual maturity is not knowledge. Like, you know, those people, someone starts throwing around words like propitiation. And then they put their thumbs in their, I don't know, suspenders. I don't ever wear suspenders, so you won't see me put my thumbs in my suspenders, but you might see me puff out my chest sometimes and, ooh, propitiation. (laughs) Saying things like, I'm a partial preterist premillennialist. Does that mean anything to anyone? I've just finished studying God's communicable and incommunicable attributes. You know, you know, my favorite is his immutability. Or, or, or listen, listen, man, I, I memorized the whole Old Testament. Will you listen to me recite it? You want to hear how much of the Bible I can just spit at you? Hang on. Look, I'm, not, I'm not saying we shouldn't know those. I'm not saying we shouldn't study those things. Don't misunderstand I think studying this stuff, memorizing scripture, please. It's the word of God that works. Isn't that we should reject this knowledge? But man, sometimes we hear these things and assume, automatically assume that that person is so spiritual and so mature as a Christian. You know who knows a lot of the Bible? Who knows a lot about who God is? You know who's got a bigger vocabulary than probably you and me? Satan. But it doesn't change anything about who he is or who he loves most. He's just got a lot of knowledge. And I'm going to suggest he's the least spiritually mature. See, we, we teach each other. We equip each other with truth. We, we don't deny knowledge. We, we don't stop at knowledge. We seek to see people actually put it into practice to begin to observe it. We teach it so that they can observe it. We teach it so they can observe it. Paul told Timothy to preach it or to teach with complete patience. That means sometimes we've got to say the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over. And you get my point. So the person can begin to obey, to observe it. And if it doesn't take effect, like if we never see it take root in a person's life, what do we do? 
We just go back to seek to make disciples. We preach the gospel to them. We tell them over and over and over how much they've been loved in the, in the cross of Christ. And if a person's not growing, then we have to assume they've never been made. So we seek to make a disciple that would turn and worship Christ. And then we begin to mature them. Even Jesus took three years before these disciples were ready. And some might argue even when he died and then rose and ascended, they still weren't ready. But he used them anyway. And then mobilizing disciples. We send disciples to multiply the worship of God and love for others by making, maturing, and mobilizing more disciples. You see, the idea here is that Jesus says, go, baptize. You, you hear the word go, right? Like it's, all of this is captured in the idea of going. Like you're not hoping they figure it out and come find you. You're actively moving towards him. You're the one that's got the movement command. Go, make disciples, baptize. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. What did he command us? Well, he commanded us a lot of things. Not to, not to mention he commanded us to go and make disciples. That his worship would be multiplied. To make and mature disciples. So, so as we make and mature disciples, we mobilize disciples. We give opportunity for movement. We send each other. To see other people raised up. To see other Christ-exalting, God-worshipping disciples made. To see others come in increasing nature. To, to surrender more and more and more and more. To live in obedience more completely and more fully so that God is most honored. And most people, the most people we have opportunity to help are helped. That's who we are as a church. Well, let me, say, let, me, let me step back and say it a little differently. That's who we've been called to be as a church. We're only going to be that if every one of us get busy doing that. This whole, this whole last two weeks and even tonight is all about us taking time to think through where we are, reorient around this mission, and just highlight some ways that we can do this together as a church. And if you've covenanted with us, we lovingly expect this of you. Not because it builds a big ministry, because it connects you to the love and joy, the hope and joy and, and uh, a peace of knowing Christ. Gathering every Sunday morning for mission. I hope you come and listen. But I don't want you to be passive listeners. I want you to participate in listening that encourages others to listen. I want you to participate in singing that encourages others to sing. I want you to participate in the, in the practice of all the stuff that has to happen to make Sunday morning happen. This isn't just a day for me to get up and talk a lot. I, got, I, I can do that every day. Like I don't need Sunday for that. This is a time for us to gather in the mission of God to 
preach gospel to each other, to express gospel among each other, and in our city, be gospel light. Because the reality is most people in this city, by and large, most people in this city, their experience and understanding of church is an event and a place. It happens, church happens on Sunday morning in a location. Most often, we, dis, we separate out the people of God. So we meet our city where we are by gathering to express the gospel in our actions and preach the gospel through our songs and in our sermons. So choose to be here, like prioritize participation here. Gathering in community groups. Your brothers and sisters in Christ need you. They need the gifts and abilities you have been given If you are robbing them of the grace that God has placed in you, that is not the love of God at work in us. And how in the world will some people ever experience it if they don't see it expressed outside these walls? Equip cohorts, specifically, these are training in knowledge so that you can apply that Knowledge. We'll begin a, a new cohort in September. If you have questions about that, want information about that, let me know. We, we, we go on this mission together by gathering, but we also go on this mission together by going. Participating in things like Unity on Division. It's an event that's coming up in September that says we're not going to stand for racism <coughs> in the church, that we're opposed to it, that the love of Christ unites. We're not looking just for diversity, we're looking for unity. By going to places like Speedway, Indiana together, Indiana together, by, by going to places like Senegal together to preach the gospel in a place where no one else is preaching it, and by sending others, sending our own to go to places like Lydia going to China. This is us worshiping God and living his mission Because we love him first. And because we love him first, we love others like we love ourselves.